Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. If you are in a car, how do you know if the car is moving? Let's say there's no jerking, no jolting, no speeding, no turning. Five, ten miles an hour or not, how do you know if you were in a car and if that car is moving? It's really quite simple. We would say, you, you just look. But what are you looking at if you are in a car and you are not quite sure if you are moving at a slow pace or not? You would need to look outside the car at the trees and the signs and the buildings and road markers and other poles to see in relation to those things whether or not you are moving by those things or whether or not you are staying stationary. And you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, no, duh. But sometimes it happens where you're in a car and suddenly two of the cars on either side of you start to move a little bit and you might replace the brake because all of a sudden you might think that you too are moving because when certain things are moving around us and until we lift up our eyes and see the greater objective reality beyond those things, it can be hard for us to know where we stand and where we are going. And all of that communicates this very simple truth that I think you know or at least ought to know already. We have to have some objective frame of reference outside of us, even beyond the immediate things in our line of sight, in order to know where we stand and where we are going. This is especially true for the Christian church, who is always going to face very difficult questions. And it's really not even a matter of whether or not you and I, as believers and members of the Christian church, are going to face questions that we really, really struggle with. In fact, I would even go so far as to say it's not even a matter as to whether or not we're going to get those questions wrong a lot. It's called being human. It's not a matter of whether or not we're going to be face-to-face with very difficult questions in life, especially as believers. It is a matter of what you look at when you come face-to-face with those challenges. What is that objective frame of reference for you? What is the thing that you look to when you come face to face with life's most difficult questions? That's the question I really want us to wrestle with today. It's certainly the question that Jesus deals with most intensely in the gospel lesson that I just read from Mark chapter 10. See, the question really isn't only about marriage. Please make no mistake, the question really is about about marriage, right? Has there ever been such a pervasively problematic topic as marriage? I mean, marriage has to do with absolutely everything. What you think about marriage affects how you view, let's list them, how you view men, how you view women, how you view children, how you view education, how you view many a societal issue, how you view many cultural issues, how you view the government, how you view all sorts of things. The way you view marriage, it is a loaded subject that determines really how you view a lot of things. And I would even say, when somebody understands how you view marriage, they kind of already maybe peg you as to what you might think about a lot of other things. That's kind of the unfortunate context in which we live. What do you think about this or that? And then compartmentalize and label a person, maybe even ostracizing them. That's, that's the times. This is such a loaded subject. 
And what Jesus demonstrates, though, is that this question is certainly about, about marriage, but it is about so much more than that. These guys walk up to him and, and, and they ask them this question, and, and Jesus proves that they're really kind of asking the wrong question. And he kind of even just goes beyond it because Jesus always has this habit of never, ever, ever answering the wrong question. He always asks and then answers the right question. Jesus never answers the wrong question. He always asks and then answers the right question. And so when they ask him this question, they're really not concerned about gaining a better understanding, especially when you know who is asking him and why. In Jesus' day, there were these Pharisees, and concerning this topic of marriage, they really were kind of gathered into two schools of thought. The one school of thought really kind of revered marriage more than the other. They knew that you really could not divorce your wife except for very extreme circumstances like like divorce. You could think of them as maybe resting on one side of the aisle of this issue. And then on the other side are these other guys, this other school of thought among the Pharisees. And they, when you look at historians, they thought things like this, that if your wife was childless for a certain time, or if you thought that she broke some of the commandments, or if she was talking to another man, even out in public, you could write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. According to this other school of thought, it's, it's almost as if if she burnt the toast, you could have reasons to divorce her. So you might even say that on either side of this very political and societal issue, you had these two camps, and they are asking Jesus. But we get some insight by the Spirit's inspiration as to why. They're not just asking him, they are also, our lesson says they are, they're testing him. So how would this be a test? Well, maybe Jesus is going to pick a side and then a huge swath of religious leaders are going to be against him. That would hurt. That would hurt his crowd. That would hurt his street cred. Maybe he's going to come up with a totally different side and then he's going to have both sides against him. That's going to hurt some of his traction too. Or maybe you can consider this. It wasn't that long ago when John the baptizer was beheaded. Do you remember why? It's because he denounced the divorce and the remarriage of Herod Antipas the ruler. And so he was thrown into prison and then later he was beheaded. So maybe even these Pharisees are thinking, maybe Jesus is going to open up his mouth maybe a little too much too and he might meet the same demise. How convenient for us. Either way, whatever their motive was, it certainly wasn't pure. Whatever their question was, it wasn't the right one. Because really what they were operating from is just this objective reality closest to them, which caused them to think whatever they thought based on whoever was closest to them think or thought. And that's not a healthy thing. And so what does Jesus say? Well, what does Moses command? Well, Moses, they, they come back, Moses permitted that a man would be able to write a woman, his wife a, a certificate of divorce. What they really weren't getting at is how, and that's obviously where the two camps would come into play. And here's where Jesus takes the tables and does a big one of these things and just completely turns them around on, the, on these Pharisees, and he says what? Yeah, Moses permitted that, why? What does it say? Yeah, because your hearts were hard. Moses permitted that because your hearts were hard. And oh, by the way, you want to know another thing that Moses, by the Spirit's inspiration, wrote down? It, it goes back to Genesis 2. Not even Deuteronomy, which they referenced, but even before that, Genesis chapter 2, when God instituted and created this whole thing that we know to be marriage. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. Don't, don't we see that today? I mean, it does not take long whether you're turning in, tuning into mainstream media, watching things on social media, reading blogs, 
on the internet or even listening to the voices around you in any society on planet Earth that you're going to hear a whole lot of opinions about this societal issue or that one, this marital issue or that one, how to get into marriage and also how to get out of it. How to view divorce, what's okay and what's really not, what's maybe a given and what maybe shouldn't be accepted. And all the while, these opinions swirl around and it doesn't deal with the main issue. The main question is, what is marriage? More than that, who says what marriage is? Because you want to know what God says from the very beginning? Well, all these opinions are swirling around. Jesus ultimately is only going to ask and then therefore answer the right question. Do you, do you know how beautiful this picture of marriage is? I mean, imagine that. Imagine this. You have a husband and a wife that come together and they are going to be so completely committed to one another. It's not based on feelings as much as it is based on a commitment that they made to one another and to God. And they will be so committed that they will serve one another and sacrifice for one another and they will share in everything together in heart and in mind and in body and they would even share their souls together. Husbands would so love and lift up their wives that their wives would never feel stomped on, quieted or belittled, never undervalued. They would only feel cherished and honored. Wives would, would never, ever make their husbands feel as though they are really worthy of a whole onslaught of criticism and then they're, they're not really worth a whole lot of respect. Instead, husbands would feel like they are lifted up and they are respected and they are so deeply loved. Tell me, when that is marriage, how many of those other issues don't really exist anymore? serious. So this idea that God's design is somehow some old fuddy-duddy fatherly type of dictum that's been passed down through some old geezers is just dumb. This is good. This is good, right? Because compare that with what we see in reality. I mean, well, what is marriage? You have, you have husbands and wives that are so wrapped up in their job that that gets so much attention until really that can't be a thing anymore, and then they realize how bankrupt their marriage has been for a long time. Children are so much everything. And then when the children grow up and they leave, and then husband and wife realize how their marriage really is this empty eggshell, and it has been for a long time. Husbands and wives are really more bent on being right and winning the argument than honoring and, and being humble and serving and loving one another. People are looking for excuses here or there, even in the conversations or the way that husbands and wives deal with other people. They're not guarded in what they say and in what they think and in what they look at and maybe even in some terrible circumstances what they might even do. What happens when you take this perfect design and, and you have a train wreck of people in a broken world applying it. What happens? You end up with homes that are hurting, marriages that are broken, and children that are so often left as the often forgotten collateral damage. Tell me, what do you see? God's design as I described it before or the latter abysmal design as I described afterwards? Does Jesus not understand that? Which is why he even says, as we're, as we're looking at this, guys, he even says, the focus should ultimately be on marriage. People will look at those difficult verses and 
about remarriage, and it's, he's not condemning remarriage wholesale, as some people would like to say. What he's saying is, you're taking a perfect institution, and people are trying to carry it out. There's always going to be sin. It's going to happen because of sin. It's going to lead to sin. And there's a whole lot of other places in Scripture we can look to regarding remarriage, and through proper repentance and forgiveness, that might be a thing for a later sermon at another time. What Jesus is ultimately focusing people's eyes on is, the question is all about marriage. The question's all about marriage. And so whenever somebody has something to say about a really hot-button issue like this, if you're like me, what do we often say in return? All right, wise guy. Then what's the solution? Good luck, by the way. What's the solution? And it just so happens that the one who is not, who is identifying the problem is the source of the solution because he was there when it was instituted to begin with. He did it. My friends, Jesus tells you this so that you would know that he loves all of you who will never be married. All of you who will be married, all of you who are married, and all of you who are no longer married. He tells you this because he and only he can give to you what your spouse in this world could never give to you. Think of it. Throughout Jesus' entire life, he never looked at another person lustfully. He never used his words to wound. And he never once lost his cool. And he did that so his holy life would count for you. And you see that even on the cross as he would take nails in his hands for every time that we're ready to throw in the towel if we haven't already. He took nails in his feet for every time we've been ready to walk away if you haven't already. And when he breathed his last, he secured for you this certainty. That when you breathe your last and you stand before God, he will see none of the sins of your marriage, your divorce, or otherwise. Because it's finished. That's how much your Savior loves you. And that's the reason why he says these things. Because he values marriage to the highest degree. So much so that he could not stand to watch it be trampled as humans often do in this broken world. But he tells you that not because he's expecting you to somehow pull a 180 and do it perfectly because sinful people can't do that. He tells you this so you would know who the true Savior is. It's Jesus. It is your Savior who loved you, who lived for you, who died for you, and rose for you to certify that you are forgiven and you are God's own child. Regardless of the sins of your past, maybe even the sins of this morning. So Jesus obviously deals with the question at hand. A question that is certainly a loaded one, and if anyone is to tell you how they have this thing perfectly figured out in this world, we might say, as a Christian apologist said of last century, that they have their feet firmly planted in midair. <laughs> it's just a mess, isn't it? But that's why when we look in this world, we, we need an objective framework, something outside of us to tell us where we are and where we really should be going. And you note that that's exactly what Jesus gets to as part of the bigger picture of this lesson. He doesn't just deal with marriage. He deals with how you come to the answer to difficult questions like marriage and every other question. Where do you go? Where do you go, where do you go when you're presented with questions like this and every other difficult one? Well, I heard my friend told me, or there was this one time when I had a pastor who mentioned this one thing that I may or may not remember accurately. Is that, is that really a good place to go? My mom and dad said, or my friends no, where do you go when you're presented with these difficult challenges? Notice what Jesus does immediately. What did Moses command? Where is Jesus pointing? 
He's pointing to that tool that we talked about in our children's message. A tool that is useful for everything. All of it for everything. What is, what is written? In fact, let's go back to the very beginning when God designed it to begin with. My friends, I'm not just saying that this is what marriage is. I'm also saying to you, no less than Jesus himself is saying to you, that you must have that objective framework and it must be verifiable and certifiable. Otherwise, you and I will not know if we're moving or going in danger or not. And I'm going to tell you why this is a good thing, not just that you should believe, but you actually want to believe. Think about this. We live in a culture that is so full of relativism and postmodernism, and I know that I've ripped on it a lot, and I probably still will. I'm not going to apologize for it, but there is one good thing about the culture that we live in. Because the culture tells you today that you should not take wholesale what someone tells you just because they tell you it. You should test it. You should question it. You should measure it and, and ask whether or not it is something worth believing. And that is a really good thing for Christians because, A, we must be very conscientious and cautious about what we believe and why. It's also helpful because we must get, be prepared to give an answer about difficult questions such as this. So to bring it full circle, think of it. Why do you believe whatever you believe about God? Well, because it's his word. Well, why is that? Well, because the word says so. So you believe his word. Why? Well, because it's God's word. Well, why is it God's word? Well, because the Bible says so. You see how nonsensical that is? Why do you believe what you believe? Here's the first reason. Because God has given you his word and it is a better design for your life and for human flourishing, and he, it leads you to the path, on the path that leads to your heavenly home and eternity. And nothing else does that for you. Well, how can you know? Well, reason number two. Because all of God's word is a package deal. And it is tied to and intrinsically connected with this historical fact that cannot be refuted. That Jesus Christ himself, the word made flesh, historically and certifiably lived, died, and bodily rose from the dead. And he says it's his word. So as long as we don't find any bones in the grave that belong to Jesus, which we won't, and which we haven't, and which we can't, then that means all of God's word is tied to this. And reason number three, that means all of the blessings that God promises to you and provides for you in his word are true. Which means, what do you get? You get the certainty that your forgiveness is paid in full. That heaven is your real home. That God's design is not supposed to be a burden for you. It's supposed to bless you. That regardless of what anyone says about you and the labels you might carry, even some of the difficult labels like that wife or that husband or divorced, all of those labels cannot compare and do not matter in the sight of God who looks at you and declares you his beloved child, his very own, on whom he put his name. Washed through water in the word, just as the layman children were before. You want that, right? And it's not just something that we want for ourselves. It's, it's something that we most certainly want for our children. That's what Jesus made clear at the end of the lesson. I mean, imagine the disciples at this point. Jesus needs to take some time for himself. Big mistake. Jesus became indignant because they were hindering the children from coming to their Savior. Think about this. Don't your children growing up in this culture today, children, don't you need to know that you have a God who loves you? But how are you going to know that... Is it, if it's not for his word? How are we ever going to know what that framework is, where we're going and where we're standing if, if God's word isn't going to be our guide? The one thing we must not do since our children are the only thing we have is we don't get another shot or redo. Our children, that's what we have right now is to not hinder them, 
to not get in the way of anything coming in between them and their Savior. Let the little children come to Jesus. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And that means absolutely everything is on the table because everything in life is in competition with absolutely everything, be it sports and school, friends or family, whatever else. Well, come on, Pastor. No, don't take it up with me. Take it up with Jesus who says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he says this not so that our kids would just have a better moral framework, but so they would know without a shadow of a doubt, regardless of what anyone says or might try to teach them, that they have a Savior who loves them, who has died for them, and is preparing them for the place that he has prepared in heaven. My friends, I don't know if you feel like the world is spinning at an ever-increasing rate, but I certainly do. I don't know if you feel like you're not really sure where you stand with even people closest to you, certainly people who seem to be racing by along with the rest of the world. I don't know if you feel like this world is only increasing in its pace and you can't really handle the burden of information that is always changing and ever shifting and seems to be working against us. I don't know if you feel that way. I'm guessing many of you do. I know I certainly do. But for every time and in every way you feel that way, God has given you an objective framework by which you, d- you don't just answer life's most difficult questions. You would know where you are standing and where you are headed. It is God's word. And it is God's word alone. And so long as you have that, then you will know that you are standing in a place that is just fine. May God grant that to you all. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us, and may God bless your day.